Welcome and thanks for listening to Texas Tech Health Check from Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center. I'm your host, Melissa Whitfield. We want you to get healthy and stay healthy with help from evidence-based advice from our physicians, healthcare providers, and researchers. January is Cervical Health Awareness Month, and we're encouraging women to get screened for cervical cancer. Screening rates have declined during the pandemic, even though routine screenings are the most effective way to detect cervical cancer. Here to talk to us about cervical cancer treatment, screenings, and prevention is Dr. Sarah Hosford, Texas Tech Physicians OBGYN and Gynecologic Oncologist. Welcome to our podcast. Can you please tell us a little bit about yourself, your expertise, and what you do at the Health Sciences Center? Certainly. My name is Dr. Sarah Hosford. I'm a board-certified gynecologic oncologist, which is a subspecialty of OBGYN. I have been in practice 30 years. I deal with primarily women who have cancers in the gynecologic tract. We don't do breast cancer, but we do all the female cancers in the reproductive organs. I'm on staff at the UMC Cancer Center. I've been practicing there for eight years, seeing patients, doing surgeries, prescribing chemotherapy, teaching, training OBGYN residents. Well, thank you again for coming on our podcast. You're here today to talk to us about cervical cancer. What is it and what causes it? Well, cervical cancer is a malignancy, a cancer that develops in the cervix. The cervix is somewhat of an internal organ in women. It is the lower portion of the uterus, which is where women hold pregnancies, where their menstrual flow comes from, but it's the lower portion of it and has a very different type of function and activity in terms of illness than the uterus itself. It's the portion that's visible when women have a pelvic exam and and they look inside the vagina, you can see the cervix. There are many things that can affect the cervix, but the one that's certainly most scary, and for women, something that can be deadly, is cancer that develop in the cells on the cervix. There are two kinds of cervical cancer. One is the most common, derived from the skin cells that line the outer portion of the cervix, the part you can see, and then less common, cancers of the glands that are in the canal of the cervix that produce mucus and help protect the cervix from the outside world, and also protect a developing baby in the mom's womb when she's, when she's pregnant. The cause of cervical cancer is an infection with HPV, which is the abbreviation for human papillomavirus. It's incredibly common. Most people who ever have had sex ever have been exposed to it. So it's a real, real, real common virus infection. Almost all women get rid of it themselves, but a small portion of women, probably about 10% of women will not be able to get rid of the infection in the cervical cells, and that's what leads to their risk of developing cervical cancer, although clearly most of those women will not develop cervical cancer, and a lot of that's dependent on screening, and the most important thing is prevention, because we have a vaccine that will prevent this infection. What can people do to reduce their risks? Well, in reality, since almost all of us will have sex, the important thing is to prevent the virus from being absorbed in your body and that you develop an infection, and that's what we call primary prevention. Since 2006, we have had a approved vaccine. There were several types that developed. The one that's currently available in the United States is called Gardasil 9. And what we do is we want to vaccinate 
both girls and boys, because this virus affects both sexes, and keep your body in healthy state so it can resist the infection and you'll never have the HPV, which essentially eliminates your risk of cervical cancer. So primary prevention is the absolute best way to do it. The vaccine is targeted at young children, probably age nine and above, before they are likely to have sex. It doesn't encourage sexual activity in teens. That was a common fear of parents. But it just protects kids from getting a disease that, or a virus that can cause disease for many years to come, even when they're much older, and that's an interesting facet of it. So we really want to prevent the infection. We have a whole schema of how we monitor women with pap smears and HPV testing, which we can do with the same along with a pap smear, to pick up the people who have the infection and who are at risk for developing cervical cancer. And those strategies are very effective as long as women are screened in their 20s and 30s not to allow an infection that went unnoticed to becoming cervical cancer. Then who should be screened and what are you looking for when you screen? Well, every woman should be screened. <laughs> we still screen women who have had the HPV vaccine because we don't really know if there will be any changes in how they develop problems. And so we recommend screening all reproductive age women. The current guidelines for pap smear screening or, or HPV screening really starts at age 21 um, because it's very, very, very rare for someone, a woman, to develop cervical cancer before age 21. And we know that's when women will likely be more sexually active, more likely to pick up the virus, and we want to let their own body deal with that if they haven't been vaccinated and get rid of it on their own so that we don't interfere in that process. So between the ages of 21 and 30, essentially, we recommend a pap smear every two to three years. Um, we don't do HPV testing because we're allowing women to get rid of that infection if they happen to have it. But we do want to pick up someone who has abnormal cells on the cervix so that we can take care of it or watch it or figure it out or whatever strategy is appropriate. Starting at age 30, we figure that if a woman hasn't gotten rid of the virus, that maybe we need to watch her more carefully. So we start screening women with a pap smear and HPV testing or HPV testing alone, depending on the strategy, the test, the physician, the age, et cetera. Looking for women who haven't gotten rid of the virus and who are more likely to be in that small group of women who might develop cancer because of its persistence. And those screenings are recommended if you're negative, both pap smear and HPV, and once every five years, which is dramatically different than we used to do years ago when we did a pap smear every year. If you get pap smears alone, we recommend they be every three years, but the superior way of monitoring women is to see if that virus is there, and if so, make sure there's no precancer changes, and if so, if there are, get rid of them. Do people need to schedule a screening with a specialist? Well, you have to see a doctor who's comfortable doing pap smears. <laughs> um, many primary care physicians, internal medicine, family practice, and OBGYNs are considered in that group because most young women in their 20s and 30s don't have a lot of medical problems and just need pregnancy management, they need immunizations, they need their general well health be available for smaller illnesses, and then also to make sure that they're screened for the things that we know are important to look for in that age range. So 
going to a doctor that's comfortable and routinely does pap smears is probably more important than ever. The people who do that really the best are OBGYNs, and we're also equipped to manage an abnormal pap smear if it comes up, to encourage vaccinations if it hasn't been done and discuss those options. And so you should be going to a doctor who's comfortable and does pap smears, and that depends on their practice. That's something you can easily ask. Doctors who don't do pap smears will be happy to tell you they don't and that you need to look for an OBGYN. But the specialty that's designed for this kind of health care for women is OBGYNs. Can you explain what happens during the screening? Well, screening for pap smear is just part of our talking to women. We want to make sure that they have adequate pregnancy protection if they don't want to become pregnant, if they do become pregnant or planning on it, we do counseling, making sure that they're cared for. We make sure they're up to date with immunizations for grownups. Um, but a pap smear is part of a pelvic exam, although a pelvic exam is not a pap smear. There's a lot of confusion. A pap smear has to be done by using an instrument we call a speculum, which is either made of plastic or metal that we place inside the vagina so we can see at the end of the vagina, which is up inside a woman, and we can see the cervix, and we take cells that have fallen off the cervix called exfoliated cells, and we look for any changes in the cells, and we can also do the HPV testing, which is done on the liquid part of the pap smear, and to identify if that virus is present, and therefore help guide what the story is and how to manage that result. It's not real complicated. It takes a few minutes. Most women don't like it, but it shouldn't be painful, painful, but it's a very important part of women's health care that really has long-lasting effects for her and her family. What are symptoms of cervical cancer? Well, the problem with cervical cancer, like many cancers, is it doesn't have a lot of symptoms early on because the cells start to change and become cancerous, but they don't really disturb the surrounding tissues. The Some of the earliest or some of the early signs of cervical cancer will be bleeding, particularly after sex, when something is poking up against the cervix and disturbing the tissue and it bleeds because that is not a normal event. Some women will have a discharge that smells funny or a watery discharge. It's only when the cancer becomes more extensive that the symptoms start to show up enough that a woman might go in and say, I don't feel well. Symptoms like pain in the pelvic area, pain with sex swelling of the legs, which could is usually a sign of advanced cancer, uh, bothersome urinary symptoms, feeling like they can't urinate or that things they feel irritated and try to go and they can't. Those are unfortunately signs of late cancer, which is why pap smear screening is so critical because we can pick it up before it would be um, obvious to a woman that there's something happening. How is cervical cancer treated and is there a cure? Like many cancers, the ability to cure it depends on how, it, how far it's spread when we first find it. Um, many cervical cancer cases are picked up somewhat early in the stage because of a pap smear or because of some early symptoms or a woman went in for something she didn't think was related to a cancer and the doctor could see there was an abnormality. Those cases are relatively well cured with appropriate prompt evaluation being sent to a specialist like myself, who this is what I'm trained to do and what I've been doing for many years. And we evaluate the exact extent of the cancer. If it's just on the cervix and it's relatively small, 
we can do a cancer surgery that will remove it. Sometimes it can even be with preservation of a woman's ability to have children, but it's a very high-tech surgery that should be done by centers that do it regularly. So that's an option, but we really hate for it to have been that far. A cancer hysterectomy, if it done in, in the appropriate situation, can be curative. It's a complicated surgery. It has potential side effects that take a while to recover. But the mainstay of cervical cancer, particularly in more advanced cases, is radiation treatments done by a specialist. And we now add chemotherapy on to make the radiation work stronger and better. And if done correctly in the hands of people who do that, cervical cancers can be readily curable. It all depends on the stage, if it's spread. We do a lot of investigations with x-rays called PET scans, which help pick up signs of cancer spread. And those are the things that a specialist should do, because that's what we're trained to do, what we do every day. We keep up with the newest changes and recommendations. So it, it easily can be curable, but the real important thing is to remember, since we can prevent it, it's a whole lot easier to do it on the first, the first part. Are there any illnesses or complications associated with cervical cancer? Well, there are some women who are a little bit higher risk, and that's true for many diseases we know, which if you have an impaired immune system, you don't fight off normal things as well. So it's not so much that the illness is associated with cervical cancer, it's that the cancer is more likely to appear in someone, for instance, who has HIV or someone who's had a kidney transplant and his immune system is suppressed to allow that transplant to stay healthy. There are conditions that develop in the setting of cervical cancer. Kidney failure is one of them, and that's because the kidney tubes are close to the cervix, way down near the bladder, and some women come in in kidney failure because the cancer has become so advanced. So there's some things we see as part of cervical cancer management. Those are more part of the cancer than they are associations. But some of the things that women can help lower their risk of cervical cancer is to not smoke. Smoking seems to be particularly difficult or helpful to the HPV and causing cervical cancer. Um, but most of it is really screening, prevention, and the things we can do before women are sick. And that's really where we want to emphasize everything that we do every day. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? Oh, I just think it's real important for women not to be scared to go to their doctor, be proactive and say, I'm 21, I need a pap smear, even if I got the vaccine. Or to say to their mother, hey, my sister's nine, she needs to be vaccinated. And hopefully that's something that's already happening in their pediatric visits, which is really where those kids are. Don't be scared to go in and be seen. And if the answer isn't something you understand, ask more questions or go to another doctor. Find a gynecologist, someone that will talk to you so that you know what your risk is, get a copy of your pap smear, know what the result is, be an advocate for vaccinations, and uh, know that we really want women to stay well, and we never want it to be cancer. We want it to be prevented. Well, thank you for coming on our podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Texas Tech Health Check. Make sure to subscribe or follow wherever you listen to podcasts so you won't miss our next episode. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Always seek immediate medical advice from your physician or your healthcare provider for questions regarding your health or medical condition. Texas Tech Health Check is brought to you by Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center and produced by Tierra Castillo, Susana Cisneros, and me, Melissa Whitfield.